0: you'll keep
1: infusing yourself into the stories of the bible like you're the hero
0: this happens all the time right so i I mean i want to be straight i love you enough to be straight you're not david all right your trouble
1: in life is not goliath And if that's true, you're in a lot of trouble, bro, because you miss. Uh, You fling your stones and you miss. And Goliath's still there. And now what? Well, I had five. You'll miss all five. So if you view the scriptures through that lens, that really all the superheroes in the Bible are actually you, then, man, you put a weight on your shoulders that, listen to me,
0: you will not be able to bear Welcome back to Truths Explained, a podcast where we interpret and examine world truths from a Christian perspective. I am Nicholas Tovar. And I am Marcella Rodriguez. And man, we are so excited to be back here on episode two of Out of Context. Uh, man, if you could not tell by that intro uh, what we are going to be covering today, we are looking at a passage that uh, is just so important, but yet so uh, abused, if you will, right, Marcella? Yeah,
1: Nick. And what a rich passage we have with us today, man. I know I said it sounds like I said this for every episode that I'm excited for every episode, <laughs> but I am excited for this episode. Um, this is a passage. Um, it's actually a, a very personal one. I don't think I shared it with you. Um, this is one of the passages that actually really showed me what Christ-centered uh, teaching and preaching is on. So this really uh, shaped my uh, my my teaching and preaching and way of looking at Scripture. Man.
0: So. That's awesome. You know, there's so many people that I talked to that I have uh, just walked with in the, their walk with Christ, and uh, that's what I hear from so many people that when they finally saw this passage the right way, it transformed the way they looked at the scriptures as a whole. And so, uh, today we're looking at the story of David and Goliath, First uh, Samuel chapter 17 probably one of the uh, most popular stories of the bible Uh, many movies many scripts have been written based off of the same storyline and yet it's probably the most out of context passage as far as the narrative that we see uh, in this story right
1: yeah brother what a great passage to look at um there's a a danger in when something is familiar to us because we we tend to tone out sort of like oh well you know i i i grew up in a crib you know sunday school i've taught this i've learned it i know all about this like come on like what really is there to look at and i think it's uh, um important to keep an open perspective on this not in a sense um that leads us to a whole new radical fresh new way of looking at scripture but an understanding that uh, perhaps our hermeneutic our interpretation of this passage isn't what it is and what a great passage it is nick
0: i'm excited to dig into it You know, If you go on YouTube and type in 1 Samuel 17, you are going to see sermon after sermon, and no doubt people have even heard this possibly in their church, the titles of Facing Your Giants or How to Overcome Your Giants. And although those have good intentions, uh, that is so far from the meaning of this passage. This passage is so much more rich than the fact that you are David and that uh, your giants are in front of you. And, And if you couldn't tell that that is not the point of this passage, uh, and oftentimes, that's the way that it's preached. And and oftentimes, it's given with this type of, uh, this three-step program, if you will. Like, step one, you have to identify your giants in your life, right? And uh, you need to, to know them, which ones they are. I mean, this can be overcoming some kind of reoccurring sin addiction, right? Uh, this could be making $100,000 with your job so that some girl will be willing to acknowledge you as successful, mm, right? right. Uh, and then step two is... Is you do what no one else is willing to do, evidently, from the passage, and you call out your giant by name so that it knows you're the hero, right? You're the victor who's about to conquer this giant. And then, step mm, three is preach. yeah, step three, you slay that giant, of course, right? It depends on what giant you're facing that week, of course. Maybe it's the uh, disconnecting from the internet, right? Uh, maybe it's throwing away your cell phone, whatever it may be, you do it so that you can fight to win, right? And so, that's kind of the idea of of this passage that is often preached in the world today. Yeah. And for, again, for those listening, um, I want to
1: give a, a, a word of encouragement. Don't be discouraged because you may have been like, well, that's kind of have I, I, I've always thought I've drawn some hope from this. And while there may be practical, um, I guess, takeaway and application from this, when you look at the actual biblical um, and meaning of this, it has so much more greater weight than just a temporary, Hey, here's a little, Encourage me Here's a little pick me up It means so much more Than that Nick And you've actually right. You've actually preached through There uh, Both 1st and 2nd Samuel
0: Just 1st Samuel 1st Samuel the entire yeah. book, So you've preached
1: Through the entire book Of 1st Samuel Nick I have So Um I think it would be fair to say that you um, would be the more adequate and fit one to kind of uh, dive us into this Nick. So what are we looking at? And this is a a long chapter is what, like 60,
0: 60 verses, right? Well, one of the things I want to offer in as encouragement, if that is you and you have heard that sermon, that the way that it was preached as Marcelo just said, um, ultimately I would ask you, where did you end up finding yourself? Right? Uh, Because when you follow those steps where you find yourself is, empty right Right. realizing that you have accomplished nothing and that your giant remains and you're constantly getting your butt kicked by him right and and so why is that well the reason is because first samuel 17 is actually not about you
1: no (laughs) it's not
0: about you fighting your giants rather it's about god fighting your greatest battle my greatest battle singular on our behalf right and so um To understand this book, we need to kind of give an overview of where it comes from. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of 1 Samuel, then you need to understand the condition that Israel is in at this very point in chapter 17. The book of 1 Samuel comes on the heels of the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, it ends with this phrase, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the way the book Mm -hmm. of Judges closes and 1 Samuel opens. Israel was in a position where they were spiritually bankrupt and they had completely forgotten who it was that was always their rescuer, right? I mean, the God who brought them out of Egypt, overcoming the Egyptians, right? Or or the God who brought down Jericho, bringing victory to Israel. But instead of relying fully on that God, rather we see Israel desiring a king because all the other nations have a king around them.
1: Mm, that is very Good, Nick, and that's exactly why I uh, delegated that that to Nick. Uh, definitely, First Samuel is definitely a very rich uh, passage. I've only looked in the Second Samuel. Um, personally, I preached from it a couple of weeks ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, was this historical narrative? Yeah, these passages are just—I mean, they're history. Yes, they're history. This uh, happened. It's this literally happened. Yes. Some of the stuff may seem unbelievable, but I mean, we got to keep in mind this is historical narrative. This is God's
0: word. This is true. Now, something we need to understand before really get diving into this passage is that there is an underlying significance to this passage, and that significance is the issue of worldviews. Yes, it's very yeah. important that we understand that. We're going to see that throughout this entire passage, that this idea of having the correct biblical worldview, this is something we have been pressing on every single one of our podcasts, having a kingdom-minded worldview. But nonetheless, we here in... First Samuel chapter 17 in verses 4 through 7 we are introduced to this massive giant named Goliath. And we're given such detail about him to make even us wonder who could fight this opponent, right? And the truth was, nobody could yep. fight this opponent. I yep. mean, he was, he was giant in stature. His armor weighed more than most people could bear. And everyone saw Goliath as this unbeatable giant. And once again, that alludes to their worldview. He was this unbeatable giant that could not be defeated. But there was one who didn't see him as that right,
1: yeah. And speaking on Goliath, um, this is just my kind of nerdy technical side coming out. Um, we have the some manuscripts say four cubits and some say six. Right. Um, translated, whether it's six cubits in a span, that's about uh, I want to say like nine feet tall. About yeah. And the four cubit is six foot nine. So regardless of whatever whether it's the Septuagint or Masoretic text, this is a big man.
0: Yes. And
1: yes. back then, average height. Was like five feet for Israelites, right? Yeah, I, I, th- I think I right. think I recall correctly. Here in the U.S. is like five eight. I'm five seven, so I'm right, right, right out there. But yeah, five feet was average guy. This guy was like at the on the low side. Seven feet tall.
0: And it's interesting to understand that their leader, Saul, who is their king, stood one head taller than them. And so he might have just come up to six feet, which kind of gives us the idea that Goliath is this nine-foot-tall creature who's standing there who can bellow out with this voice so that all of Israel can hear him in this valley, right? Uh, But nonetheless, we come to the character himself David, right? Now David was a shepherd. He was taking care of his father's flock, but he was told to go and take food to his brothers who were a part of the Israelite military, yeah. right? And so they're standing there facing Goliath in this military. And if you're familiar with 1 Samuel, you know that Eliab, who is David's oldest brother, he was one the one that Samuel thought was going to be the anointed king by God because of his stature yet right. again, right? right? And even Samuel almost fell into the worldview of of the Israelites, judging everything by this physical instead of spiritual, right? And when he was going to pick out the true anointed one, all of David's brothers are standing here. And he's like, all right, is it this one? The Holy Spirit says no. Is it this one? The Holy Spirit says no. Ultimately, he runs out of, of Jesse's children. And he asked Jesse, surely you have to have another son because none of these are the truly anointed one. And Jesse says, well, yeah, I have another son, but he's puny, right? So Jesse's worldview is that surely it can't be david right i mean it it can't be him he's out in the fields taking care of the sheep this is a kid that we're talking about it can't be him and from an earthly world view you would think eliab is the one who should be taking over this role because he is the the oldest son he's the wisest if you will uh in from from a worldly perspective even he should probably be fit to fight goliath right but nonetheless we see david come to the battle lines to obey his father and bring food. And we pick up in verse 22 through 23. I want us to look at this for just a moment. It says, And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Now, what is the response of every person here, right? What is the response? Oh, no, we, we we can handle this. No. In verse 24, it tells us very clearly. It says, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Not only are they afraid, but their worldview is to point out the physical rewards that someone will receive if they win against the giant, right? And nobody acknowledges the fact that this giant has mocked their God except one person. Look at verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, David saw him as nothing more than just this uncircumcised Philistine. And the writer of this story wants you to know that which is why in all the times Goliath is mentioned, he is only referred to by name twice. 21 other times he is known as just the Philistine or the uncircumcised Philistine, right? And so it's important that we see, the the author is trying to get us to understand that David is not fearful of this man in any way. But when David declares that his that this supposed giant is nothing but an uncircumcised Philistine, his own brother responds in anger. Look at verse 28 with me. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you even come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Now, we need to see that Eliab, even after hearing the fact that his, this uncircumcised Philistine has made an assault on the glory of God, even after hearing that, he does not turn in any way toward relying on God for victory. As a matter of fact, he tells David that his heart is evil, right? Now, how sad is that? How can that be possible? Now, Saul catches wind of David being willing to fight, and he calls for him. But even Saul, after hearing that David has declared this uncircumcised Philistine as nothing in the sight of God, even Saul doesn't believe him and just calls him a resourceless, inexperienced kid. So understand this. Not only is David now faced with the task of facing the the giant that is in front of him, he must also face the ridicule of his own people, namely his brother and Saul, the leader of God's people. People. So now David is going to face Goliath and be mocked by him. And David's own people have the same worldview as the enemy themselves. Understand that. And it's important that we see that. This is all painting a perfect picture for us to understand Something It is amazing because David makes his confidence known of his experience with lions and bears, which he struck down with his own hand, but it wasn't him who did this, right? He says very clearly in verse 37, it says, And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you 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 see david acknowledged very clearly it is the lord who has brought me this far and it is the lord who will carry me on right
1: yeah amen i mean i mean how do i even follow up with that um i think the passage even within the first book of samuel uh, when you were talking about samuel looking for the anoint which king to anoint um the passage speaks clearly to us uh man looks at the at the outside but god looks at the at the heart he looks at the inside man looks at the outward appearance Uh, that's what we focus on we see the attitude carry on from samuel his worldview is um their champion their new king their new you know, savior of their of their kingdom would be this you know well, like like saul saul was described as tall and handsome and yes. broad shoulders and and whatnot um he would have some physical um advantage that no one else had and that's what Samuel was focused on and he was kind of taken aback when you know when he encountered david and even then we see the the uh, israelites they're cowering at this man you know goliath um he's Look again, describing his physical characteristics. He's mm. covered in chainmail armor. Yes. He's got helmets. He has a uh, a javelin on his back, and because in each hand he has a weapon. He has a uh, a shield, and he has a uh, a spear. Mm. So I mean, these were he was actively cloaked in like the best armor you could have. On, on top of that, not, not to even mention the fact that he's you know seven nine feet tall. I mean, he's a huge guy. He's right. he's a good couple feet uh, taller than anyone else. And then you have David and then he's like this shepherd boy. Uh, he's not a, he's not a little he's not a little kid as is um, often interpreted um, he's definitely strong enough to be carrying uh, cheese and uh, Wheat and barley back and forth right as is he's tasked. But again, they're looking at the appearance of David It's this outside appearance. They're, they're focused on the t- uh, worldly aspect of it and Goliath is out there twice a day taunting them saying hey bring forth your champion I'm a champion have him fight with me. This is a representative uh, warfare Basically, you know, whoever wins would keep the other ones captive. Um, Obviously, the Philistines aren't good on their word and they run away at the end of the chapter. But again, throughout the entire chapter, even leading up to this, we see this worldview that's focused on uh, the physical aspect of it. And they're in in the wrong for this. Focusing on this physical aspect, you're in the wrong for this. And keep in mind this as we begin to look at this and see who we really are in this and all of this.
0: Yes. And one of the things that we need to understand about David now being commissioned by Saul to go out and fight this giant, understand how hopeless Israel was, right? The fact that they allowed David to go in and fight on their behalf shows that they have already gone through every single man and they've already uh, gone through their entire military looking for the one person who would go out and fight. And what do we find out? No one is willing. Rather, no one was able Right. And I mean, if David loses, Israel goes into captivity with the Philistines. So the truth of the matter is, Israel gave up before the fight even started. Yeah, they were
1: throwing out their weakest link. Right. Right. They were helpless because they were hopeless. They were hopeless because they were helpless.
0: Right. Exactly. Now, David in this passage gives us in verse 46 and 47, the main verses of this entire passage. This is exactly why this chapter was written. I want to look at it for you. In verse 46, it says, "'This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth.'" that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, verse 47, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. This is in the face of Goliath that David goes and he declares this word. This is the whole point of this whole passage. The fact that the Lord is the one who fights the battle, right? And so... You see, the danger of looking at Goliath as your greatest temptation or as your greatest mountain to overcome, if you will, whether it be drugs or pornography, or maybe you are in fear of losing your job, or maybe your marriage is in shambles, understand something. All of those things can be overcome by wise counsel, accountability, Mm -hmm. the word of God, but the point of this passage, the way that Goliath is being painted, is that he is an enemy that cannot be defeated no matter what. So then what is it that Goliath represents? What 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 does he represent in this story? Well, Goliath represents sin and death. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He represents sin and death. Not individual sin, but the truth about sin and that you can never overcome it. There is no hope. That's the point of this passage, that only the Lord can provide that hope. You see, Goliath embodies what we see of the reality of Romans chapter 3 and verses 9 through 12. It says this, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's the point of facing Goliath right now, is the fact that there is no chance whatsoever. This is why preaching this passage so loosely is so dangerous because if somebody hears this who is not a believer or even if they are a believer they are going to march down to Goliath thinking that they are David ready to put a stone right between his eyes they sling the stone it merely bounces off the giant only to have their own head completely severed and ultimately they have lost the fight over sin and death because they thought they were David and they thought the giants could be overcome but there is only one who can overcome and that true one is the anointed king Jesus Christ himself you see David is a representative or a type of Christ not you not me it is Jesus Christ who fights our battle yeah I mean
1: there's the question, I mean, where are we in this story? We're the scared Israelites who are all trembling on the side, un- unable to fight, uh, we're paralyzed with fear. We're not we're helpless. Even Saul, yes. who's supposed to be the champion of Israel, is cowering. He's not able to do anything himself. Where does that leave us? We're the scared Israelites. We're not this brave champion stepping up to fight to fight. That's David and David is yes. but a perf imperfect shadow pointing to Christ who is the ultimate Amen. hero. And we don't, we don't want to become start becoming the hero of this story. Right. We uh, tend to think like, you know, um, my, the Bible is like, or I, I'm the protagonist and the lead star in a movie of, of god and you know i'm casting whoever i want but i'm the hero i'm the one you know facing my giants take fighting the demons and and whatnot in reality we don't want that role because of the weight that it carries on us yes we see even those that god called collapsed in in a certain era they all had david being a man after god's own heart he still fell victim to adultery we see that in first samuel um in the next chapter first samuel chapter 11 and he kills a man he covers up this being the same boy shepherd boy that stepped up and is the celebrated king he falls into sin now we can certainly look at examples of of the bible um i mean but we don't want to make it see what we have now is what we call moralistic preaching Yes. In which we take a character from the Bible mm. and we're like, hmm, let's look at his good attributes. Okay, well be courageous like Samson, be honest like Joseph, you know, and and so forth. Yes. And this is moralistic preaching. We it's it's honestly not much better than Aesop's Fables. You know, <laughs> Aesop's Fables where yes. you have these stories that, okay, what did we learn? What's the takeaway from this? Okay, well now go and be this. In reality, it's not that great. We see stuff like Dare to be Daniel. <laughs> yes. You know, dare to be Daniel Which, you know, yes. be, be whatever Daniel was And Daniel's a great example I mean, in some regard Especially, um, our you know, our brothers and, and sisters in China right now They're being made, a, forced to bow and worship the emperor of China right? And Daniel's a good example um, of a godly man Who resisted the, uh, uh, you know, a Nebuchadnezzar Telling him to bow And uh, the three b- boys and a Jewish man in the furnace Yes. Um, they didn't bow down to the golden statue, and they'd prefer to die um, being loyal to God, worshiping God uh, alone. So they're examples, but ultimately, these examples are imperfect, and they point us to the one true, perfect example, who is Christ. Hebrews 11 and 12, the great cloud of witnesses. Yes. this All this, all this serves is to point us to Christ, who... Hebrews 12 says, is the founder and perfecter, a pioneer of our faith, Amen. keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. So all Amen. of this, as good as example as it may be, it ultimately comes falls short because of the examples that we look to always fall short in one sense. Because they're but a prototype, a shadow, a foreshadowing of the one who ultimately fulfills whatever role they stepped in.
0: Yes. Yes. If you want to find yourself in this passage, go look at verse 24. That's where we're located. We're running from Goliath (laughs) like the little cowards that we are. If we want to find ourselves in this passage, let's look at ourselves as Saul's, right? Looking at Jesus and saying, but he isn't big enough for me, right? Let's look at ourselves as Eliab, who is looking at the giant through the lens of the world and not as the simple created being that he is who could be killed by the very mouth of God if he so desired. We need to understand something. The truth is, we in our natural state, as it says in Romans chapter 3, we never. Choose God when it comes to sin and death. We try all the different ways to tame our sin in our life, right? And we only need to realize that this is a ferocious beast just waiting for the moment to pounce and bring about our destruction. Yeah. We cannot tame sin. Sin can only be defeated on our behalf. There is nothing that you and I can do to bring about its destruction.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of why Jesus came. Yes. We were helpless. Because we weren't able to save ourselves. We couldn't appease the wrath of God. We couldn't live up to God's righteous requirements. I mean, look at the Israelites throughout the entire Old Testament. Time and time again, God would deliver them from trouble and evil, yes. and they would go right back to it. Moses left a little bit, and they, he came back, and they're worshiping a golden calf. Right. I mean, we seek idolatry. We seek everything but God. That's the position that we're in. Right. We're not the hero. We're not this brave, perfect person that steps up to the plate. We're actually the ones that run away and cower from it because our sin makes us look at everything but God.
0: Now, Marcelo, let's say for just a moment that you do sort of get this passage, right? And you do believe that David represents Jesus, there's actually a wrong way to understand even David representing yes, Jesus. Yeah. And we get an example of this in the New Testament with the Jewish people who were waiting for the Messiah that wouldn't come to defeat sin and death. They already felt that they had done that in themselves. Yeah. We see that in the rich young ruler, right? As Jesus came, he already told him, I've kept the law. I've done everything that I need to do. He was wanting to have a status in a kingdom thinking that this was the warrior king who would come to ultimately overthrow the Roman rule that they They were all thinking about it from a physical level, right? And in our day and age, there are so many people who will preach Jesus in order to meet our physical needs, whether by prosperity, wealth, health, a good life. And what people don't understand is these false prophets are offering people what they already want apart from Christ to begin with, right? Instead, we must see Jesus as the only author of life and that without him, there is nothing. Right.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, if we just keep looking at everything as examples of stuff that we're supposed to replicate, we'll always fall short, as I've said before, we'll always fall short of the, of the goal. That's the whole point. Yes. That's the whole point of this passage. Yes. You're not strong enough. You're not brave enough. You're not good enough. You're not righteous yes. enough. Yes. You don't trust in God enough. You wouldn't seek God. You would turn and tuck your toe between your legs and run away when you see this massive Man in front of you mm. That's what who we are And the reality is All of this all, Every example Whenever any man or woman uh, Was strengthened by God And you know remained faithful to God In tribulation And It's always serving as an example To point to Christ Not to point us to us But to point them to one greater We need to look yes. At who they themselves Were looking at This great cloud of witnesses They endured all that they did Because they were looking to Christ Yes They were looking to Christ Yes, That's who we are to look at Amen. ultimately.
0: As we get ready to close this podcast, I want to ask this question, Marcella. So how does first Samuel 17 end? And I believe it ends in this way as first Corinthians chapter 15 tells us at mm. the very end yes, of there. Yes. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain amen he brought about our victory so may we find ourselves clothed in christ jesus the author and the finisher and the perfecter of our faith amen we want to thank you for joining our podcast, and uh, we are so encouraged by all of the new listeners that we have received. We want to encourage you with these mini series that we have. These are just our shorter podcasts where we unpack certain scriptures that we believe have uh, been taken grossly out of context. And so uh, we hope that this encourages you. Uh, we want to, if you haven't listened to any of our other podcasts, we want to definitely encourage you to go listen to our last one with Tom Buck on social justice and the gospel. Part two. We are always so uh, thankful for the feedback that we receive yes, from you. Yeah. Uh, we want to encourage you to continue to leave your feedback, to continue to let us know the areas that maybe we could possibly change or uh, enhance, if you will. And so uh, please reach out to us on Facebook. Um, and you could also reach out to us to explain at gmail.com. Uh, we also want to encourage you, if you would like physical copies of this, maybe for a family member who doesn't have internet or isn't as uh, tech savvy, uh, we would be more than glad to mail that to you. Uh, so if you will just reach out to us at one of those platforms, and we will we will make sure that that gets sent to you. Uh, we want to thank you so much for joining us. And as always, Soli Gloria.